welcome to Industrial Marketing Live, to the crowd that's already here in person. Uh, we're super happy that you are here and thanks for joining us. Uh, in this session, we are continuing our vendetta, quote unquote, against um, trade shows. No, against bad trade shows, Peyton. Against, yeah, against, yeah. against <laughs> is, a, is a really uh, maybe strong way to say, like yeah. we're continuing our vendetta to rethink how we trade show. Um, so to help us have this conversation today, we have an incredible guest um, and an industrial marketing powerhouse, MJ Smith, who is a VP of marketing at Colab Software. So MJ, but yeah, can you say hello? Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, um, I'm MJ. I have been doing industrial marketing for like eight or nine years, um, spent six years in industrial companies, um, all owned by the same company called Helma. So they own like probably 60 or 70 mid-sized manufacturing businesses around the world. Did a little bit of product, did a little bit of marketing, worked my way up from individual contributor to VP inside of that business, um, and then spent a year agency side uh, in a B2B software agency. And now I do a bit of both as VP of marketing at Colab. Uh, we sell to industrial companies, manufacturers, uh, but but our product is a software. Um, so back in industrial marketing, but with kind of that B2B SaaS uh, twist. And my team right now includes both marketing and sales development. Super exciting. Yeah. And this is, I think I remember you posting on LinkedIn that this is your first time to have like sales development under the marketing wing. Yep. First time for me having sales development report up to me. Um, and uh, I suppose first time for Colab having sales development report up to marketing. Although before sales development was reporting up through our chief strategy officer. So it never really uh, sat underneath sales in Colab. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, well, yeah, well, today we're going to talk a little bit about trade shows. And so MJ, you mentioned like just kind of how you got started and maybe let's start there with uh, with Firetrace. Like um, what were they doing with trade shows before you started running marketing there? And um, yeah, how did things start to change? Yeah, so a um, little bit of background on Firetrace. It is a 100-person uh, manufacturing business selling fire suppression systems um, founded, I think, in like 2001. So um, I joined that company in 2018. So it was like a 17 to 20-year-old company um, by the time I joined. So like pretty well-established player. Um, and in the year before I joined as director of marketing, the company did 40 trade shows in 12 months. Um, so as you can imagine, there was a three-person marketing team, um, like a marketing manager, a graphic designer, and somebody whose official job title was trade show coordinator. All three of those people spent basically 100% of their time managing those trade shows. As you can imagine, like with 40 trade shows, you've got deadlines hitting like basically every day of the week to prep for that kind of thing. Um, the CEO, MJ, was that the main, was that the main marketing strategy for Firetrace at that time? Yeah. And, you know, frankly, like, and, and we can talk about this a little bit later when we talk about how Colab approaches trade shows, but like trade shows did fuel a lot of Firetrace's early success. Like mm -hmm. our Midwest regional sales manager who, uh, closed by far the most business of anyone. Um, well, with the exception of a, a single person who ran huge strategic OEM accounts, but by far the most uh, business via distributors of anyone in the company, like would tell me without a shadow of a doubt, like this company's early business was built off the back of IMTS. And I believe him 100%. Sure. Um, however, like I do think that over time, 
when you're not the new shiny thing at the trade show, like they tend to get a little stale. So, but it was basically the only marketing motion. They had a, they had a website that literally blew up like seven months into my time there um, because the PHP that the website was running on top of was so outdated that like basically the internet would no longer support it. So uh, fortunately we actually had just come to like the last couple of days of a website redesign project that we had launched like four months earlier. So that was not perfect timing because it crashed a little bit sooner than I would have liked to, but um, our development agency was able to get the web, the new website online like very shortly after after it crashed. <laughs> Talk about um, But uh, the, the CEO of that company, Firechase, brought me in um, in large part because the marketing team was 100% focused on these trade shows and he wanted to see a lot more product marketing and product management. And within the Halma Group, which owns Firetrace, I had kind of established a successful track record of product marketing and product management. So um, I came in and as I posted on LinkedIn in my little promo post for this uh, event, I came in and we cut our trade shows from 40 to four in a year. So we cut back by 90%. And um, I mean, that allowed us to invest in all sorts of things, but the number one thing that moved the needle was getting everybody's time back to actually do product marketing and product management. And really this business like hadn't had true product management for the entire lifetime of the business. So there was like a number of problems that were building over the years when you don't have product management. Like, for example, um, we weren't thinking about how many units of our products that we were going to sell compared to what the minimum order quantity of the main components that go into these those units were. We were not comparing those two things. So we would chronically overorder parts and we would have huge inventory. Or like we would have on our price, slip, price sheets, um, like our catalog of products, our product line, four different versions of the same product. And some of them were quite high margin and some of them were quite low margin. And obviously you want to be selling more of the high margin and less of the low margin stuff. We were not like actively targeting the segments that um, saw the the most value in our product. And therefore we were like chronically getting into price battles, right? A race to the bottom where we could have been more selectively focusing on those segments where the value proposition was really strong and having more of a value-based pricing conversation. So um, the most probably impactful project I've ever seen done in a manufacturing company was going back and uh, looking at our entire product line, making a lot of things obsolete, cleaning things up, consolidating, making it simple, um, focusing on high margin products, and basically completely overhauling the product line that we presented to the market and how we presented it. Um, That happened over the course of about seven months. um, And it was like a huge group effort between myself, the marketing team, the um, engineering team. Like I was back and forth between uh, my cubicle and the engineering team's cubicles like all day. Like I literally might've logged like 5,000 steps a day, just walking back and forth. What does this mean? What is it? Why do we have this part? Right. Um, Peeling back everything that was happening and then production, right? Like we had to release new drawings to production in a lot of times, new bills of material. And um, like they had to change their work instructions and then sales, right? Sales had to be offering, you know, a new product range to the market. And um, 
I, I know this is kind of long-winded, but at the end of all of this, in after about seven months, we launched kind of our brand new product line. And in the, the next 12 months after that, we dropped a million dollars, gross margin dollars, not revenue dollars, straight to the bottom line. Most impactful manufacturing project yeah. I've ever worked on. Would not have happened if we were trying to keep up with 40 trade shows. What was that conversation like with leadership to, you know, you know, you come in as a new marketing leader. How do you like, how'd you make, like make that conversation happen with leadership in this, on the sales side to, to cut that back, right? If they're like, we've built this whole business on trade shows. Now you're telling us we have to get rid of trade shows. What was that like? Um, it, there, there wasn't like a lot of pushback from leadership hmm. because as I said, the CEO had brought me in because he believed deeply in product management and product marketing. So like the only way that I could have failed him was just not doing the product management and product marketing. Um, I think everybody is always scared to stop going to so many trade shows because um, if that's your only marketing motion that you've ever done in your company's history, like you think that the faucet's going to turn off if you stop going to them. Yeah. Um, and so in a lot of ways, it was sort of a leap of faith, you know, um, but our revenue was not really impacted by that. Um, and even if it was the amount of gross margin dollars we generated from the product management project, way, way offset yeah. um, anything that that would have been lost by not going to a couple of these trade shows. How did you pick the four that you're going to stay with? Because you didn't cut, like it'd be pretty easy to say, we're going to cut all of them, but you decided to keep a couple of them. So why did you pick the four? Yeah. So we had uh, back to the idea of like, you need to sell to the segments that see the most value in your product. We had four strategic segments and uh, we, I think we picked like one show for each segment. Um, then we did like pseudo attend a fifth one, which was a fire industry show, but we didn't actually book a booth. We just rented a conference room and invited all of our distributors that go to these shows anyway to like come to basically a, an educational presentation about our new product launches and um, you know the direction of the company and take Q and A. So we didn't. We, the only reason we were able to get a conference room is because our sister company was exhibiting and they booked it for us. So it was a little bit cheeky, but uh, but everybody wanted to do that the following year. They're like, you mean I can get in front of all my distributors without buying a booth at this show? Um, so yeah, that was like our fifth one. So we didn't miss out on that opportunity to get in front of a lot of customers quickly either. Customers uh, in this case, meaning distributors, not end users. The pushback that I've heard from folks cutting trade shows is that like they are concerned about repercussions a little bit of just, especially if it's like associations or things like that, just like the relationships. Um, so I'm curious, like obviously cutting 36 out, that's a lot of associations to maybe upset. Um, hmm. So were there any sort of like negative relationship outcomes you guys had to mitigate afterwards or like, how did you kind of smooth things out? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I probably um, did not have as close of a relationship with any of the trade associations as most marketing managers do. Um, I don't think in the end that it impacted our ability to deliver the results we wanted to. Um, however, I think if uh, a trade association is going to sever a long-term relationship with you because you don't attend their trade show, I would sort of wonder like if that's a healthy move for their business as well. 
And the ones that I went on to have relationships with made an effort to like meet me where, where I was at. That's good. (laughs) It was not a risk I even anticipated though, to be completely honest. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, so we had a question come in from, uh, Jared who said that they've gone away from doing booths at larger trade shows and have opted to walk. Jared, do you want to unmute and kind of ask your question there, what you're thinking? Yeah, um, yeah we, we're, we've moved away from doing the expensive trade shows as a smaller company. Uh, and we'll we'll still send people to the bigger ones, but we've put more of an emphasis on presenting or having like a tabletop or a small booth at small, very specific shows. Um, for instance, we just were at a Air Force corrosion conference. Um, so highly specific, targeted audience of a bunch of engineering type people. Um, so I'm just kind of curious on on any ideas to really capitalize on doing those type of events that are very low cost, low volume, but highly targeted. Yeah, so we did two at Colab in Q4 of last year. Both of them, I would say, fit that description. One fits that description exactly. It was like a very hyper-targeted user conference for a software that we are quite adjacent to. And there's probably 400 people total that go to it. Um, we, like a lot of these these really small niche um, conferences have speaking opportunities like baked into their offering, right? That are tend to be super affordable. I think it was like $2,000 extra to, to have a speaking slot. And people are there for the speakers, you know, like that's why people go, especially to a small user conference like this, that's why people go. So um, if you can't get a speaking slot, it's like the speaking slot's like 50% of the value, maybe more, right? Um, so I, I love that approach. I think it's really cost effective. I think you like on a percentage basis tend to rub shoulders with like a way higher percentage of people that are actually relevant. Whereas at these big shows, like they're very exciting, but like one out of every 10 people that come up, like might be relevant to you. And the other nine might be like just poking around. Right. So yeah. Um, I love that strategy. I love the idea of getting, getting speaking slots and for certain shows, where the show itself does not always organize like the nighttime events. I think it's, it's quite, quite good to like, if you know enough people rent out a little brewery, like invite people to have drinks afterwards and just build relationships with people. So speaking of collab and you kind of mentioned how things were in Q4, you know, how are you guys thinking about trade shows there? Um, Is it a little bit more of the same of what you did in Q4 or are you thinking even more differently now. But yeah, so first of all, trade shows have been really, really good for collabs. Um, we have like, it's like definitely one of our core sources of pipeline. Um, and like, to be completely honest, we haven't done anything really out of the box with any of them. So like, yes, we got the speaking slots in both of the ones we did in Q4, but like the traditional, we set up a booth, people came by it, we talked to them, we got them excited about collab. that turned into an opportunity, like that actually did, does work for us. <laughs> um, and I do think that part of it is that collab is new and exciting. Like collab was founded in 2017. Um, and collab was like a 10 person company probably until like 2019. So we're like very new. Um, and like the people we send to these shows, and I think this is not trivial, go there with a ton of energy. Um, And I think that, you know, that energy is magnetic. And so just simply being there, being new and having a lot of energy and speaking 
worked really well for us in Q4. What are we going to do differently um, in the trade shows that are coming up this year? In 2023, we will do like six shows. In 2022, we only did the two. Um, we increased from two to six because the two last year worked really well. Um, we're trying to do speaking again. We will probably um, do some like after hours events that we're sponsoring at some of the shows that we're going to. Um, whenever we speak, we always have like a, a way to have a, a follow-up that is digital. So like we will put on the speaker slide QR codes to various content offers that are relevant to the presentation that was just made. Lots of people scan those. Um, and then they fill out forms on your website, they grab other content offers, and then you can continue to like nurture that relationship digitally after the show. Um, obviously some of these things just turn into fast moving opportunities. Um, and then the last thing that is like kind of, uh, I guess out of the box is, um, the stuff people give out at trade show booths, like mostly goes in the trash, right. Or goes to Goodwill. Um, what we found is the stuff that doesn't go in the trash tends to be stuff that you make to give to people's kids and grandkids, like kids just want little toys and stuff. Right. So, um, we're focusing more of our swag on like stuff that's designed to be like a fun little take home toy for kids, as opposed to a t-shirt that's going to end up a good one. Jake Hall made the same exact point a month ago. So it's mm -hmm. kind of cool to see like, okay, so now we've heard that twice. Maybe that's a, a good thing to do moving forward. Mary, you had a really great question. Uh, MJ, you've been doing a lot of work on messaging for Colab. And so Mary, you want to jump on here and ask your question about how messaging played into the trade show? Yeah. So you said it was like a huge source of like leads and pipeline for you now, like one of the, your core sources. Do you think that your initial like positioning, messaging, foundational marketing work played a lot into that? Like said another way, if you had not done that, do you still think it would have been as successful? Oh, definitely not. Um, I don't think anything is as successful if you don't do the, uh, the foundational messaging and positioning work. Another thing that we will do for our trade shows, uh, coming we have four of them coming up in Q2. Um, Colab has team week. We have a lot of remote employees. I, one of them. Um, so everybody comes who is remote to the office for a week. It's going to happen at the first week of April. I'm running a session where like, I'm going to tell everybody, you know, who's never been to a trade show before, perhaps on behalf of Colab. Like these are some things you should think about um, when you're at the show. And then everybody has to role play what happens when somebody walks up to you and goes, so what does your company do? Like mm. everybody's got to practice that. What do you say? Because uh, if you walk into a show and somebody walks up and says that and you're not prepared to answer that question, it's either going to be super nerve wracking. You're going to not have the right messaging or both. So we're going to do some practice on that. That's such a great idea um, to do the role playing. And it's always so uncomfortable and awkward, even when you're doing it and everyone's in a good, good spirit um, about it. It's, it's hard, um, but it will really make you stronger. Um, I had kind of to dovetail off of that. I had a question about just like the team that you said that the team that goes to these shows has really high energy. They're like raring to go. Um, who all is involved in trade shows at Collab and like, how are y'all organizing this to like execute really well? So um, in Q4, the people, the people that went to the first one were me, our chief strategy officer and our CEO. And I remember right before uh, we started the day, I don't know what possessed him to do this, but our CEO like sat us down and was like, all right, 
we are the coolest people that anybody is going to meet at this trade show today. And like when he said that, I think we all just like believed it. We're like, yeah, we're the coolest people. Like we are going to talk about such cool stuff today, right? And it just like really worked. I mean, that's like something that I like, like might put into CoLab's brand guidelines someday. Like go with the energy that you're the coolest person that anyone's going to talk to today. Like you're talking about the coolest, most interesting technology. Um, the second trade show was uh, one of our, uh, product managers, now now a solutions engineer, a customer success manager, and our CEO again, who spoke at that one. Um, so we do like try to get a wide number of different people from across the company, like exposure to these, because the other benefit of a show, um, especially um, some of these conferences that have a lot of talk tracks, um, where you can understand what's going on in other parts of the industries. Uh, the benefit is that your team learns really, really quickly just by being there. Like, first of all, you're going to have, you know, 40 customer conversations when normally that might take 12 months to do. Uh, and second, you can like, you know, hear about, you can go to the competitors talk, you can go to, you know, partner talks and hear what, hear what they're doing and what's on their roadmap often. Um, and so we like, we're going to be getting product managers down there. We're going to be getting SDRs. And I'm saying down there because our company is in Canada and all of our shows are in the United States. Um, we're going to be uh, having executives, obviously, at all, all of the shows. So it, it's a bunch of different people that are all involved. I have some more questions on your messaging, MJ. How is the messaging like you did great? Like I love going to your website and seeing like how you like structure that and the messaging you're using there. How are you making that come alive in your trade show booth? How does your yeah. messaging come across? What one thing we've been focused on with the shows is um, doing more showing and less telling, because I just I think it's very hard to expect to capture people's attention with just words when they're like, there's everything going on at a trade show. It's like crazy. So, um, like we we only have one booth, right? Like, and we just ship it to every show. Um, but it it's like a it's mostly pictorial, right? It's like a it's like an image of our software's interface and, and shows like people making comments on 3D models. Um, and I think particularly for our ICP, which is engineers, engineering leaders, seeing like a model or like gears, you know, in a video or on your booth, like gets people to turn their heads uh, and, it, and at least stop and think about whether they want to engage with you. Okay. Can you what talk are you doing? Go ahead, Peyton. What are you doing after the trade shows to like, I guess, make sure that you're capturing any lessons learned from the conversations that you've had or like how folks are engaging with your booth or anything like that to use in the next one? Yeah, we did like a little retro at the end of uh, one of our shows in Q4. Like we literally did it on site, like on the evening of the final day. And we all just sat there and like, you know, dumped all of our ideas into a, a Google Doc so that we can use it uh, next time. Um, I think we we didn't realize in Q4 how rich of an experience some of these shows would be for our product management org. So um, we will probably think about how to capture insights a little bit better for the specific purpose of product as opposed to trade show execution improvement um, this quarter as we as we go to those next batch of shows. So you're saying it's good, like customer research at the yeah, show. yeah, and competitive research and um, 
yeah, uh, partners, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to develop partners. It really depends on what your business model is, but like for us, um, competitive and, and partner slash integrations research has been a big piece of it. It also like, it can help generate content ideas, right? Like, um, and, and it can help inform positioning, right? Like if you are immersed in the industry for a couple of days, um, you understand like if your positioning is landing and, um, it, you know, you, it, it informs how you write about things, the type of content, the type of topics you're, you're looking at. You guys are all laughing about something. <laughs> oh, it's just the, the chat is just so hard to ignore sometimes. Um, we're not laughing at you, MJ. We're laughing with you. Okay. Yeah, I, okay. I was, uh, I, I was uh, accused of leading the witness with my question. Ah, there, okay. Uh, but, uh, MJ, can, can you talk about your strategy with your um, speaking engagements? Because I feel like we've been talking like this show and then our previous show with Jake Hall, we've been talking a lot about like how to make your trade show booth experience really good, but we haven't really talked mm -hmm. a lot about the speaking side. And I think that's like a whole nother, like they work together obviously because they're happening at the same time, but how are you using the speaking engagement as a part of the strategy? Okay, so um, if, if there was any doubt, making the presentation for the speaking engagement is the most challenging and strategic thing you will do for the show, 100%. Mm -hmm. um, it's like we try to make presentations that like people would pay to go see, right? And I'm like, they kind of are paying to go see it, right? But like, um, we obviously pay to be able to present, but um, a lot of people that are presenting, frankly, during some of the same time slots as you, are people that were asked to present on merits and are not paying for a slot to present. Mm -hmm. So like, your content needs to be compelling enough that someone would choose to come go to your sponsored talk over some of those talks where the person was just frankly invited because they're, you know, amazing. Right. Um, so that's a high bar. Like the whole talk has to be really well architected, um, to be a story, to be memorable, to not get overly technical, which always is a challenge with engineering products. And then, like the biggest hack I believe is make places literally workshopping your title until it is like the best title ever, <laughs> because people look at the agenda and the title is all they see. So like it needs to be, your title has to be a hook. Um, and that could be the difference between eight people showing up to your talk and 45. And uh, that's a big lever on your return on investment for the show. How do you view the content of the, of the talk? Like I'm assuming you're not going there trying to sell collab in your talk. No. So like what are, like what is that? How do you approach that? Like what do you want to say? What do you want? What what is your goal with the speaking engagement? Yeah, it depends on the um the audience. So like some of our shows are super technical audiences, like the product lifecycle management software administrator, right? Like or the mm -hmm. CAD administrator, right? And um, these people go to these shows because they want to know what's going on with the CAD and PLM landscape. Like a lot of the talks they're going to be going to are from product managers at the PLM and CAD companies, right? Like what's on the roadmap? Like, are you going to fix this burning problem that I'm very annoyed by, right? Okay. So like, how, how would you engage that type of audience? That would be a little bit different than like, we also went to... And like an automotive leadership summit and our CEO spoke about like um, engineering effectiveness, like how to make your engineering team, like 
why effectiveness is more important than efficiency and like all the places effectiveness, all the levers on effectiveness and all of the places that, uh, you know, how, how it kind of impacts your business. Um, later this year, we're probably gonna release like, like a big point of view piece on like agile for hardware versus stage gate. And like, frankly, our point of view is that manufacturers will never not do stage gate because, it's not software. At the end of the day, you cannot unship something in manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And so like, we're going to talk all about how like, you're never going to get away from StageGate. So how do you make StageGate more agile? Right. Mm -hmm. And we're going to publish a whole piece on that. We'll probably give talks on it, but like, that's interesting, right? Like an engineering leader would want to come to that talk. So think about the audience and um, tune up and down how technical or sort of like leadership pie in the sky focused yeah. you want to be based on the the majority of people that are going to be there. So really you kind of see it as like an extension of your demand gen program. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um it's uh I mean I would I really wouldn't think of it any differently than a webinar, right? Yeah, totally. Um and uh I mean uh, the stakes are a little bit higher but um because you paid more to be there but I frankly like try to treat our webinars with the same level of rigor mm-hmm. as uh, I would treat the in-person presentation as well. It, it can't just be a product pitch. It's got to be something that right. like might actually change somebody's day. We just got a question in the chat about this. So could you walk us through your approach to workshopping the hook and title that gets people to the session? Yeah. Um, uh, so first of all, I think it's worth workshopping the title before you actually make the presentation. Um, Sometimes you might like make, you might like workshop the title a little bit, make the presentation, go back, workshop the title again. So like, I think there's some flexibility here, but um, I think the the best hack is just like literally force yourself to write the title like 10 or 20 different times. And, and um, I think it can be actually um, useful to put a timer on like uh, fig jam is a tool we use for a lot of brainstorming. It's, it's made by Figma, but uh, basically it's like a digital whiteboard, but they'll let you put a timer in the top right-hand corner of the whiteboard. So you get like three people, you set the timer for five minutes, everybody's got to write eight title options, and then you all kind of figure out which one you like the best. Um, if, uh, if you want to, you can do title and then write a short description and kind of workshop the description and do both those things before you actually build the presentation. Oftentimes the organizer is going to ask you for a description anyway. Um, but it's just like with any copywriting, try to write the title and description at like an eighth grade level, if you can, which is really hard. We're <laughs> super technical products. Like you're you're gonna always get like, you know, whatever those little tester things are always going to tell you you're at a 12th grade level because you just can't avoid saying the word product lifecycle management or whatever the equivalent is for you. Um, But yeah, I I think it's really worth doing a ton of work and like really look at that conference pamphlet as a marketing document, you know, and market the heck out of your session. Yeah, everybody gets one. You show up there, they put them in a bag. Everyone's, it's like on the back of your little badge, you know, all that information is there being read over and over and over again. So even if they didn't attend your session, they might feel afterwards, if they heard about it, they might be able to go back, follow you on LinkedIn, connect with your company on LinkedIn and feel maybe a little bit of FOMO for missing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, the cool thing is, um, 
if you put a ton of effort into making like a killer presentation, there's no reason you can't only give that at the trade show. Like you can just give it as a digital keynote like two weeks later, right? And it doesn't take any extra work from you. And if you have a really good presentation and you really invest in it, like maybe you go get some like original research so you have great data. I've seen people present data at these things. Like even at a marketing show, I saw someone present like a lot of data and charts. People love that kind of stuff, right? And they take like, people take pictures of the slides, especially the ones with data on them. So like if you go get, if you spend a bunch of money, go get original research done, you could give that presentation at every single conference for like three years and people would still think it was amazing, right? So I think it is worth thinking about like, maybe we invest in making like the greatest conference presentation ever once and we can get a ton of mileage out of that versus making a new one for every conference, but we get very little mileage out of it. We had another question come through in the chat from uh, Alyssa, who's running as Andrew today. Um, Alyssa asked about what you do like before the shows for marketing, like how you're um, sharing about the the fact that you're going to be somewhere or like, are you promoting it? How are you promoting it? That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I like, I don't think we're best in class at this, if I'm honest, like, um, <clears throat> I think Adinas um, did a really good job promoting the Industrial Marketing Summit at Content Marketing World. Like, and what they what I what I noticed that they did was they just posted about it like all the time, constantly, like on social. Um, and I uh, was speaking to them about it at the conference, and they were like, "Oh my god!" Like. Three months before the conference even happened, our social media coordinator was like, this is terrible. I literally post about this every second. And I was like, that's interesting because from my perspective, as someone in your target audience, it was like just the right amount that I was like, oh yeah, they're really taking this really seriously. you know. So I think it's like very easy to think that you're overwhelming your ICP with like the same message again and again and again, but you're actually not. Um, and then the other piece of it is just like email, you know, like a lot of people that you want to meet with at the conference are, um, are in your email list and you just want them to come by and, um, like you, it's, it doesn't need to be anything fancy. You just make sure you get the word out, maybe send a couple of emails so people don't read every single email. Um, the last thing we do, <clears throat> well, this is new for us is, uh, <clears throat> the way we like attribute opportunities from a trade show is sales gets credit if the meeting was booked before the show to happen at the show. Marketing gets credit if the meeting is booked at the show, which is an incentive to sales to actually like book meetings before the show. Um, because like otherwise nobody's going to book meetings before the show. It's just like an afterthought. Everybody always says book meetings at the show, book meetings in advance. Nobody actually does it. So find a way to incentivize that. How do you so, know your yeah. trade show was successful? Um, I mean, like we measure opportunities from the trade show, um, but like there's other things that also make it successful that are not like such a direct measure like that. So um, I've mentioned a couple of times product and also partnerships. Like you can have really valuable conversations that are not sales conversations. Um, and I do think it's worth like leaving room for yourself to not be like 100% tied to just an opportunity metric. Mm -hmm. I also think that's a good reason that executives should go to shows because then they can feel it uh, in person. So we, we're going to have at least one executive at every show. It's a great use of their time. Yep. More executives in front of customers is always good. Like, <clears throat> um, 
It's a very challenging question, but uh, like if you ask a lot of companies, like when's the last time each member of your executive team spoke directly to a customer? Like that can be a little bit eye-opening. And I mean, even like I'm like a huge proponent of customer research and, you know, I'm sitting here halfway through or most of the way through Q1 and I'm like, I haven't talked to a bunch of customers one-on-one, like in a sprint format where I do insights since Q4. And I'm like, okay, I got to do that. I got to make that a priority again in Q2. Because if somebody asked me right now, I'd be like, it's been like 10 weeks since I talked to a customer. Um, I have talked to like one or two customers this quarter, but not with the specific intent of gathering insights. Um, So I'm like self-conscious about not having talked to a customer in three months. Like a lot of executives haven't talked to a customer ever when they went since being at their company. Crazy. (laughs) It's crazy to think about as a marketer that that's like not happening. But when you think about the the day-to-day grind, it's easy just to um, not prioritize it and and not see that it's something that's really valuable or important to you. Yeah. I mean, like, and some, some functions, like you just think, oh, this person doesn't need to be in front of customers. Like the most obvious example in most companies being the VP of finance, but like why wouldn't the VP of finance benefit from being in front of a customer? And in fact, like I always say marketing and finance are two sides of the same coin. They are two sides of the strategy coin. Marketing is the input to strategy. Market insights go into strategy. But before you finalize a strategy, you're going to run that through a financial model and make sure that the strategy makes sense from a PL perspective. So like the finance leader is always going to touch your strategy. And so like, why would you not want that person in front of a customer at least every once in a while? Like, I'm not saying they have to do it weekly or even quarterly, but if they do it twice a year, I think your strategy is going to be better for it. Well, I'm happy to take some more questions from the crowd. Brendan, don't want to cut you off either, but I think we're at a good spot here to kind of circle back. And one thing we really like to do in IML is uh, at the end, like we've, we've obviously talked about a lot of different things. Um, we want to kind of recap maybe something that's the most important or most actionable thing um, out of the, the conversation today. So put you and Brendan on the spot, MJ, um, to, to ask you, you know, what is one lesson that you hope folks will take away from this conversation today? Um, a couple for me are... It's when it comes to trade shows, should I invest in them? Should I not? Some of the non-obvious questions you should be asking are not just what are the dollars that we're going to spend on this trade show and how many dollars are we going to get out, but also how much time are we going to spend here and what is the opportunity cost for the time people are going to spend organizing this. In the case of the Firetrace example, the opportunity cost was doing an enormous product management project that had a much bigger impact on our PNL at the end of the day. The second piece is I do think there is um, a big impact on, on the success of a trade show based on kind of like where you are in a company life cycle. If you are like new and growing fast and like, or you just have a new product that is interesting, right? That's what people go to shows to see. They go for the speakers and they go for the new stuff, right? So if you have something new, um, that's what I would focus your trade show efforts around because it's going to be less friction, right? If you're trying to, if you're trying to like push an old mature product, 
you're just going to like encounter so much more friction. It's going to be so much harder to get the result you want. So like market the new stuff. That's what people want to see. Um, and then the other pe- reason people go is for the speakers. So if you can be a speaker, um, you should uh, look for those opportunities. Maybe you literally choose which shows you're going to go to based on that. I kind of do. Um, and put a ton of effort into that talk, even if it means that you give the same talk at every show because you spent so much money and time making it the first time. Question has come out of that. Julie wants to know if you're debuting a new product, is it worth um, is it worth it to also speak or is it better just to not not to divide your focus? Um, I think it's worth it to speak. Um, it, I, I do like get your point there though about dividing your focus. So like it's it would really be up to you. Um, I would probably try to align my talk with the value prop of the product. Again, not making it a product pitch, but like understand what business process that product impacts the new one um, and make a talk about like providing your point of view on that particular business process. And then, you know, I don't think you need to be afraid to pitch your product either, like give a really value packed talk. And then at the end, be like, by the way, we're debuting this new product that aligns with the strategic narrative I just shared with you, because obviously, (laughs) Um, you know, come by our booth if you want to see it. So your talk should naturally build hype for that new product. Brendan, what's your big takeaway from today? Yeah, I think MJ, what you said about your messaging and getting that nailed down and having that basically just be a part of your booth and your your speaking engagement is huge, right? So like do that super hard work upfront to really nail your positioning and your messaging and your value proposition and train your team on all of those things so that you're all speaking the same language when you go to the show and you kind of have a co- cohesive voice together. Um, I think that's always worth it. I, two things for me, I think one of like just that internal hype of like, we are the coolest people here. That is such an easy thing that you can do. And actually like, no lie. I don't know if John Franco is still on the, the call, but he did the same thing to to me and James when we were at a show just the other day. And um, it, it did it like just turned on the energy. So highly recommend doing that. Do some power poses. I'm a fan. Um, but the thing that you said, MJ, that I I really thought was cool was, um, the idea to think about who you're sending to these shows, like send the team. It's a training opportunity, not just to walk the floor, but to attend these speaking tracks and really learn more about the product or the industry, especially for new employees or folks who are just trying to, you know, develop a tool for that segment. So those are my big things. Awesome. Well, we have a few more questions in the chat. Um, we can probably stick around for for uh, a minute and answer these, or we can follow up with you guys in Slack um, because we do have a Slack community. And if you're interested in joining us there, just put a little note in the chat and we will in, uh, invite you. Um, you're welcome to ask questions and kind of connect with Brendan, me, and MJ's even in the Slack group too. So um, if you've got direct questions, you can ask there. Um, but uh, I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap up for today. MJ, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate you uh, coming on and talking with us. And uh, everyone, our next show is April 6th. And we're back to our usual time, 10 a.m. And we are covering a topic that was recommended by an IMLer, um, which was HubSpot. So we've got Charlie joining us. And Charlie, I'm not even going to try and pronounce your uh, last name right now. 
but I will practice and uh, we'll, we'll work on that. And uh, Charlie's going to join to talk about, you know, whether or not you have a CRM or a platform at all, like what, why they're so essential for marketers. Um, so we'll suss that out and we'll see you guys April 6th. Thank you, MJ. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. Have a good one, you guys. Bye, everyone.